Hello and welcome to the Marina President Podcast. What you're about to hear is a conversation between me and Bromo Raman. Our very dear editor in chief here at Marinopolis will review our school's newspaper. So I first got in contact with Bromore through our Facebook conversation. We talked one hour about politics, and he happens to be an immigrant from Bangladesh.、Um, technically not an immigrant; he's born here, but his family's from Bangladesh. And thought would go very well in the podcast, and I invited him onto the show, and was、uh, I think the funnest conversation I've ever had with anyone. I hope you all enjoy listening to it as much as I did the interview. And even though the audio quality is not the best in this episode, I think the content is just hilarious and very informative. So I hope you enjoy. Yeah, well, let's uh, well, we welcome to the podcast. You're our third guest. Start by introducing yourself. Talk about yourself a little bit. Uh, okay. Uh, me. Okay. Uh, well, uh, well, just only me. Well, my name is Bromar, Bromar、uh, Raman. Well,、uh, it's it's a bit complicated to say it in English because、uh, there's no H's, but、uh, <laughs> there's like two, there's several H's in my name. But、um, I'm、uh, like my, not me, but my mom is from from Bangladesh. But like I'm, I'll have some cultural ties from over there. So、uh, that's what I'm mainly going to talk about today. Stuff happening back in in the country. Talk about maybe society, compare it a little bit to society over here, and basically. Say how good we have it here. Honestly, like it's 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 true. Like no matter what you say, like you you know you talk about we do we do have it good good here. You can talk about whatever you want. Like any any literally anything. Name an issue. Like police brutality. No comparison. Like whatever you want to say here compared to Bangladesh. No no comparison.、Um, violence. No comparison. Strikes.、Uh, no comparison. The the class discrepancy that's like a really interesting thing I want to talk about. In general, everything in in related to、um, to basically the two societies, like how different it is, the culture, the way we think, right? And you know how how it's incompatible in many ways over here to to live like we do over there.、But、yeah, that's in gen in general.、Uh, well. People in Marinopolis—they know me as the editor-in-chief of the World Review, the school newspaper, right? Like we report on Congress, we write opinion articles once in a while, and that's pretty much it. And uh, otherwise, uh, I'm a big weep, but、uh, that's a side note. <laughs> in this case, all right. Well, that's it for me. All right. Then I just have a quick question that was not planned. Um, so, what do you, why do you think that we have this、um, perception about our society being so much worse in a way than like other parts of the world? Like、uh, our media has this tendency to,、uh, well, I doesn't mean like only our media. Like every single media have the tendency to only focus on bad things.、Uh, Steven Pinker talked about this in his book. Like since the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, the word connotation in media usage has always been on a negative trend. So,、uh, what do you think? Like the the situation actually is like how bad is it actually in our society? Well, in Western society, let's say Canada, and in your society back in Bangladesh. Well, I th- I think that it's it's、uh, I mean it's it's relatively easy to to explain. First of all, people like to focus on on bad things. Like you know, we love drama. We love、uh, we we don't like looking at the like you know when when something goes well. It's how it's supposed to go. So it's like a Tuesday morning. <laughs> Everything is fine, right? If it's、uh, if things go bad, that's when people pay attention, right? Because 
it wasn't supposed to to go like that, right? It's it's abnormal. It's it's something something different. It's it's not supposed to. It's not, that's not supposed what was supposed to happen, right? So we always focus on that, right? Uh, when when there's a and, and whenever there's like a a scandal, people are very high on emotions, right? We run on emotion. When there's an uh, something outrageous that happens, you know, like oh my god, this this someone was arrested and he he's like a person of color and and you know it's uh, uh he was just walking in the street like people often they don't they don't look at you know what what happened behind like the story and they just hear something and they run high on emotion and they go and they they're like oh this is a an outrage and they and they they, they light the streets on fire okay like that's people we're very knee jerk obviously in the east too but like in the west we we're very knee jerk in terms of our reactions we don't really a lot of people don't really look at like the story deeper behind because whenever you see a, a story that's like even remotely a bit outrageous, you, you just you just react to it and and it's it's very in that way very uh, emotion based and uh, reaction based and um, I think that that in in many ways it's a condition of the of the human but uh, in I think that's like in general that explains it why and why the media focuses on that well as I said it's the media, their their job is to is to report on the news, but obviously, I mean, the, what what gets more views, what gets more more clicks, right? Like uh, it's the like eventually, as a journalist, you you want people to watch your show, you want people to to read your articles, right? So you talk about you know everything you think is wrong, you write like outrageous articles with like you know questionable evidence to co- to stir controversy. And because you want you want people to read, like that's I mean I can say it myself. Like I don't run a large publication. I run like a teeny tiny publication. Like we'd be happy if we got fifteen hundred people to to read any on a given on a given day any of our articles. But you know I'm not gonna say that that we don't we don't do that too. Like I I definitely try to jeer it up when, whenever I can because you know ad revenue clicks stuff like that, right? So. It's it's something that that I think that and obviously that doesn't help society in general. Like it's not it doesn't contribute to to better society because people like obviously people always running high on emotion and reacting to every little event that that happens and uh, not not looking further, you know, in depth what's going on. I think that's not healthy for democracy. But uh, it's, it's just it it is it's what it is and. If you want to change, you have to change the culture, and that's going to take a while. And so, do you think that's also a problem, for example, in Bangladesh or in um, other parts of the world where culture is different? I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a, it's a problem everywhere. Like, I mean, am I going to say that that in Bangladesh it's just different? Because here, I think in general, like even though again, I'm I'm going to do a comparison here because I think here we're definitely more more educated. And I think that that people like we do people here they do read the news more than in in Bangladesh where like a lot of people they can't even read right and uh, and compared to that like for example and I think that that in, that in a in a way like it it just it just says it says a lot that when uh, the way we we react differently to news right like people people think that the that the coronavirus is like a <laughs> in Bangladesh has been saying it's a, it's a Western virus it's a rich people's virus like I, like you know I remember my my friend, he went. He said he went to uh, to the the villages and talked to people. They're like, "Oh, what do you think about Corona? Is like, Corona, Corona? That's that that's that's the 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 rich people's virus. The people who live in the cities, right? Because you know those people they're, they're trying to live. They're, they're like, you know, what am I gonna do? Like, uh, I can't. I, it's, it's for them. It's basically the flu. Like, they're, 
<laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's not to work. It's not to eat, right? So that's what I'm saying is that is that the way we do it, we react to what news is is different. But in but in general, I think that here we're we're more educated. And sometimes it is to our to our detriment because sometimes we overreact to news that you know because nothing honestly in Canada especially nothing is happening. Okay, like we don't we it's our politics are boring in general. Our our uh, our culture is like in like to the extent that there is a culture it's in Quebec and and like maybe to an extent in the Maritimes. In in the West, I'm sorry, but like that's like it's basically America light. In every everywhere everywhere east from Ontario is America light. Ontario is like this this supposed to be this multicultural haven, but it's really a mess. So I mean like in in the ter- territories, obviously, like where the natives live, they have their own culture. But we're not gonna we're not gonna gonna you know. But in in essence, nothing is happening really in Canada. So people like to to find nitpick and find any every little thing that's going on. Meanwhile, meal, but but we're educated in general, so so we we uh, whenever we see something, we read the news and we react. But in Bangladesh, it's the is the opposite. It's the basically the the educated people who are you know manipulating the people who are who are not right. Like they're like, do you think all the, the hundreds of thousands of people who attend the political rallies, they have any idea what the politician is talking about? No, they don't. And this is an actual story my mom told me that they they have these trucks, right? The, the the political parties of these trucks they lo- they they go in these like the, the beggars they go see in the villages they tell these people hey hey you you I'm gonna give you fifty bucks fifty bucks uh, okay I'm gonna give you like a lungi it's like a thing you you put around your 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 waist like it's a cloth okay yeah okay fifty bucks and and that okay come get on the truck okay they load these people in the truck they bring them to the rallies they put them there there's a conductor up front who tells them when to applaud when to cheer. And they just sit there and they listen, and at the end they get their their money and they leave. Okay, like that's that's just like you know just this is so show you that, that that's that's like a general like how the dynamic is, right? Well, here we're more educated in general, but but yeah, it, it's sometimes to our detriment, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, talking about election back in Bangladesh, uh, Wikipedia described Bangladesh as a parliamentary representative democratic republic. Um, how true is that? I mean, in in terms of like uh, the the system, that is true. Like it is a parliamentary representative democracy, but in terms of like uh, in in effect, like we we've had uh, uh, the same the same people running the country pretty much. Like in in terms of it's been it's been two people running the country since. Okay, so in in from eighty to eighty eight, we had a a military dictatorship basically. Where, um, where like um, it was uh, Ershad who was running running the country for a couple of years, and uh, he was he was the the president, and and he installed himself, and he was just there. But then there was a, a kind of revolution, and and people people they I mean actually funny thing is he's he's still like in in politics, like you know it's not like that's that's the thing in in you'll find in in South Asian countries there's no shame, okay? Like you'll have these people who are like ousted for like. You know they're like dictators, they're ousted, or they're corrupt, they're ousted, and they're still there. Like they don't, they don't, they don't disappear or anything. It's like there's no, there's no shame. Like it's like it's like thievery is like such part of the culture that it's just seen as like ah eh, whatever. You know people people forget or they don't care. It's like ah oh, you know whatever. And uh, it wasn't so bad. But you know the then there was a revolution. And it's been and since then it's been the pretty much the same people running the country. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna pretend otherwise. 
And you know, when people ask me, like, uh, I'm trying to make a side point here. When people ask me why I don't like identity politics, like, you know how in the US, Kamala Harris, oh my God, historical woman, uh, first black woman of color, she's a vice president, historic. Look, in, 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 in Bangladesh, we've had women, like, in terms of, like, actuality, like, in terms of heads of states, okay? Prime Minister has been a woman, leader of the opposition woman, Speaker of the House woman for I don't know how many years. Sometimes, you know, they, they change roles, the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition, like, you know, as elections come and go. But, you know, like, in terms of actual policy, I'm sorry, but, but like, in terms of women's equality, like, is anyone going to say that Bangladesh is a haven for women's equality? Like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, it's... Let's not let's not kid ourselves here. So I'm just saying that it's it it matters more what policy I would I'd rather have you know the whitest white guy running the country if you know the the policies actually were like good policies rather than having women run the country but the policies are you know there's not there and there's nothing changing you know in the long run it and and you know and and who who are the and, and who are the the women in question? Funny thing, the speaker of the house. My mom went to law school with her. She's the the son, uh, the, sorry, the son, the daughter of this big uh, justice in who was a justice in Bangladesh, right? Obviously, very powerful person. Uh, the prime, the the current prime minister, uh, she's the 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 daughter of the first prime minister we had in '75, and the leader of the opposition, she's the wife of the second prime minister we had. So as you can see, uh, the country runs pretty much on nepotism. So we're not gonna. Not gonna pretend that it's 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 otherwise. And you know the when I talk about nepotism in general, that's how the whole country runs pretty much. Okay, a lot of people assume in the West that when I talk about class, right, like different classes, we talk about levels of wealth. But that is not the case in 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 Bangladesh. How much money you have, it's often related to you know how it is. It is often correlated, but it's not. It's not true. Like you could be like if someone who's a uh, from the village, right? Who comes from the lower classes of, of Bangladesh? Who, you know, but who's uh, who migrates here makes a lot of money. If they go back to Bangladesh, stigma is always going to be there. Like from their accent, from the way they they talk and everything, like and like in, from their name, you can you can say you can guess that they're not from a very high class background, right? But what do I mean by class? I mean by education, right? Like my my family is from like the upper class of Bangladesh, right? Like we like educated. My my mom is obviously went to law school. She's she finished law school. She graduated as lawyer. My my grandfather, my grandmother, you know, professor, teachers, uh, uh public servants, you know, people who are from the educated class, right? Like they're they have they have degrees. They're they're very educated. They can read. They can write. Like. And that's a big thing, being able to read and write in a, in a country like that, right? So you don't you don't come from like the, the lower classes, and that that's obviously uh, what the factor goes into. And 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 the, and you cannot get anything in Bangladesh if your name isn't there to back it up. Okay, like so many times, you know, um, my my mom when she was she was working in for KLM, like you know the the, the plane company. Uh, she was a cabin crew after she finished law school. She worked uh, uh, as a one. I think was it, I don't remember what she was, when she was uh, in law school, but uh, she was working as a as a as a cabin crew in KLM. And she said that there was um uh so there was this this guy who came back from Qatar after that. That's common, you know. A lot of 
South Asian people who go to work in like the Arab countries and they make a lot of money. They come back, they bring the money back. This guy and there's a trick in the airport where the security they when they you know when they go through the gates right and you put your stuff and they pass through security. Oftentimes the guards they're like extremely corrupt and they steal the steal uh, valuable luggage. Like that that happens and oftentimes like they, you they go inside the magnetic machine and they don't come out on the other side. Okay, like I'm literally talking about it's that bad. Okay? And it's it's really blatant, okay. But like you know, you the, there's a huge like mafia running that stuff, so no one's gonna say anything, right? Hush hush. But yeah, so this guy works two years, okay. Like my mom knew him, like she talked to him in the plane, and everything. He worked two years for his family. Uh, he made a lot, he made a bunch of money. He came back, and his money got got stolen in, in the gates, like when it was passing through the magnetic thing, okay. And he panicked, and he went, and you know, my mom when she asked him like what was the matter, he told her what happened, and she immediately knew what happened, like you know, like. If you if you know the what what goes on in the air if you work in the airport you definitely know what kind of fuckery goes on in the airports right so in the in the airport when that happened she went to see uh, she went upstairs she brought the guy to the to the the room upstairs where the army headquarters people were and my my uncle he's a uh, he's uh, he was a lieutenant colonel at the time she went to see the the army headquarters she said hey I'm the um, Hey, uh, private. I'm the 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 the, the niece. No, I'm sorry, not the niece, but like the the sister in uh, the sister in, in law of the of um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel um, Mia Mushu Zaman, right? And when he told her his name, that immediately the 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 the, the soldier was like, Oh, uh, yes, uh, I know, I know your your uh, your brother-in-law. Yes, blah, blah blah blah. And as I said, you have to use your name to get things through, right? If she didn't have the name, like he wouldn't do anything like he like honestly uh, he he wouldn't do anything but like uh she used his name and she explained the situation they they basically like that day they busted a huge ring of like of a, like uh they there was literally a house where there was like a bunch of valuable objects like being stored by like these mafia guys right and the army went in there they busted that 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 ring the the guy got his his money back and he thanked uh, uh, my mom and everything so, but as I said, the 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 fact that she had connections was huge, you know. And that's not the only situation. If you're uh, if you're like if you want to sue someone, right? If you if you're uh, or even if you something was done wrong against you, and uh, and you know you want to pursue charges against someone, there's literally a, a a protocol like you know where the judge is not going to deliver a verdict until he's received all the bribes from the lawyers. Okay, like there's that. That's how it works, right? So, like, uh, sometimes the lawyer is gonna go see like the like the judge judge's uh, clerk, and he's gonna be like, uh, the secretary is like, oh, uh, did, did the is is the judge ready for a verdict? She's gonna say, no, he's not ready for a verdict. That means the bribe hasn't arrived yet, you know? <laughs> yeah, like there's there's a lot of code word code word stuff happening there, but that's what I'm talking about, right? You you can't you can literally get nothing done. And also, like, even if you want someone to like pursue, like, if if someone commits a crime against you like that happens like when i was uh there were some some guys that you know uh uh obviously my mom she, she's a she was a woman she had two sisters growing up in bangladesh like you know the, the, the culture there like she would tell me how like women would walk with their like bags holding like up to their chest because guys would just come and grab their their chest okay like from behind or whatever okay and it, yeah it seems disgusting when you hear about it here as I, as I said over there it's like 
you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. That was back back when, when she was young. I don't know if it's changed now. It's, it, I hope it, it did, honestly. But in a lot of ways, I think, it, like, in, from what I hear, it's, it's gotten worse. But uh, I don't know. But in anyway, she says that people would grab grab her chest but anyway growing up as a woman and you know guys obviously did, did harass her and stuff like that and oftentimes you know like they would they would like be so so blatant as to like try to commit a crime right like one time she said that there was a guy who literally like uh, and you know when you grow up in a country like that you don't really have like ptsd isn't a thing really thing really like here i feel like oftentimes we we really exaggerate ptsd like you know people they're like oh my god uh someone someone uh touched me oh my god i have ptsd you know like okay like you know come on and and you know a lot I, i'm sure i'm gonna get shit for this but but look in bangladesh my mom when she was younger she was alone in the house with her three with the two younger no actually her older and younger sister there was a guy that like started cutting the door with uh, a uh, like a saw like sawing the door okay literally like she saw the saw coming in the door she went to the to the window, opened the window. She screamed at her neighbor, shouted to her neighbors. They went and they caught the caught the thief. And uh, my mom's, I think it was uh, her mother's sister's husband was the police chief at the time. Okay, that's the only reason that guy, you know, got what he deserved at the end, because her mother's sister's husband was a police chief. Okay, like I'm just I'm like that just, just shows you how the country just runs on nepotism. Like that's that's just how it is. Okay, like even even to this day, like uh, we're not we're not gonna pretend otherwise. It it the country runs like that, and and yeah, I mean that's something you wouldn't see here. Like here we talk about like a lot of times like with the current we scandal going on with the Trudeau government that oh my God Trudeau's mother talked at the thing. Obviously, I think that's that's bad. That you know like if, if Trudeau's mother Margaret Trudeau she really did you know use. Uh, her name to to do get paid speeches that that's bad but that's because we have very high standards here like in Bangladesh we have no standards is no standards and the standard procedure is the country runs on nepotism yeah okay so you talk about class during this conversation what determines the class in Bangladesh is it knowledge or is it a mix of knowledge and money mm, well. Money, less like well, generally with you. If you have the knowledge, you you have the wealth. But like obviously, that's not that's not necessarily correlated. I'd say it's only about maybe half correlated. Like in terms of my my mom, for example, she didn't grow up with a lot of money. Like a lot of times, they they struggle to pay the bills. Like uh, even for food, I'm talking about not like rent and stuff. No, actually, they didn't have to pay rent because my grandmother she was she worked as a as a professor and she did tutoring. She was like a a public servant. She was a government official. So she 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 was able to live in the government complex housing, and uh, she would she would live um, with um, other government officials. So they didn't have to on like uh, uh, like the rent was like often very low. So that wasn't an issue. But the issue like oftentimes like for food and stuff like that. Uh, as I said, my grandmother she had to do tutoring to make money, and my my mom she was able to go to to like uh, a Christian private school. Uh, like uh, in high school because she did really well. She got like a scholarship and and even then, so my grandmother wouldn't pay more. She would ask her richer friends to like give her photocopies of their textbooks because um, she she didn't want her her mother to pay for textbooks. 
And uh, she said that her friends, they all had drivers that would come in like BMs and like uh, fancy uh, cars and at school. And my mom said she didn't have any of that. Like she, she lived on like on very little when she was young. Like, like she said like sugar, beef, that was like luxury, you know? She said that we, we had, we had, she said, she told me about, she said we ate oranges in Christmas. Like that was like a, like a big thing. Like, like those things were so rare. And here we, we, we get that like so easily. And, you know, like we do oftentimes, I think that we're so spoiled that we, like, you know, that we, we just look for things to be entitled about. Right. Like here you, you can, you can just go to the supermarket and buy something for like so cheap, like, uh, like oranges or whatever, like sugar and beef there. It's not that expensive. Okay. It depends what kind of beef, but like, come on, like normal beef, you can, you can buy that for like 15 bucks at the supermarket like we're not gonna pretend that that it's it's um it's inaccessible for someone even who's lower middle class and if you're hungry uh if you don't have money to buy food food banks like oh my god i i doing uh like i i, I did a lot of community organization like i worked in a lot of community organizations i go in these food banks and you know people people get mad at me for saying that but come on like the food that the people from the food that that people eat from the food bank they eat better than i do Okay, like the like I went in these food banks. Okay, like when I was in the community organization, sometimes because I didn't have time to bring my lunch, I'd eat the the food that that we had there because we worked there, we we were allowed to eat there. And honestly, I oftentimes with the food that was there, I would eat better than I eat at home. Okay, and the class system, as you were saying, is that is it based on on wealth or education? It's it's a mix of both, but it's also like geographical location. Like if you come from like a village, right, compared to the city. Even if you're like poor, like relatively poor, if you're able to live in the city, like not as a beggar, but like as a, as like someone who's able to afford to live in the city, even if you're like struggling more, like if you're in the village, oftentimes even if you can eat, you can, you can eat at like the food you grow on your land. You have more land and stuff, like, but based on your on your accent, on your level of education, which is often like on villages, you don't have that much education. You're you don't have obviously you don't even have a high school education oftentimes and like literacy is like pretty basic to the extent that it is like oftentimes you can write your name and that's about it so like that that shows and oftentimes as I said class is based on that not not on on uh, on how much money you have and uh, if you live in the in the city generally yeah you do have if you live in a in a reasonable neighborhood like the DOHS or whatever uh you have money like in in general because uh you're able to get these jobs that require education like why do you think it's such a big deal to get a university degree here because those education related jobs like the they're high higher paying right so it's obviously it's correlated to a certain extent but in uh, in bangladesh the the class system uh also you know you know when we talk about servants right like uh the the idea of having a servant like here, here you're like oh like um it's like you people often they mix up like the word they like oh like slaves you know like talk about like slavery and uh having someone uh if someone saw how servants are treated in bangladesh they they would say slavery the proper term would be indentured servitude because they're like they're they're tied to the to the to the they're bound their house they're land bound they're bound to the house for the extent of their employment but servants oftentimes they're treated like literally like it's a it's a different class like they're and when i'm talking about different class i'm not talking about about like like here you're like oh my god they're, they're the, the 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 poorer classes are treated so so uh differently there's a distinction 
No, I'm I'm saying like they can literally not eat at the same table as the the masters, as the people who like run the house. They cannot uh, sleep in the same rooms. They have to sleep on the floor. They don't get a bed. They they get different living quarters. They don't. They have like primitive bathrooms, like older model bathrooms. While the the people who run, who like uh, the masters, they get the 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 um, the good bathrooms basically. Flushing toilets. Yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah, like actual toilets. Yeah, and and you know I and look I I, I never like lived for like more than six months in a in a row in Bangladesh, but for the for all the times I went there, like I saw that okay, like the way that they're treated and. And what and and you're gonna say that those and those servants they're often beaten they're they're raped and uh, for for the girls who work there, younger girls even like it's and uh, that's that's the life and that's that and but they come from the villages to work in the city because they can make money right and uh, and often a lot of times they don't even make it like they get like a lot of times they they come like via you know people who then sell them to prostitution right like to these like brothels. And Vice did a really good segment on this, where they went to these like brothels run in in Bangladesh, and it's messed up, you know, like the the stuff. And actually, my my mom told me a story that even when she was a lawyer, she almost got sold into prostitution one time, because after she became a lawyer, she didn't work for this like big firm. She she worked for an NGO, like she was very like community minded, right? She she went to work for the community. She worked for this NGO. They sent her her and her partner, who was a guy, over to a village. They were supposed to meet at this point, but uh, but she she went on on a rickshaw, which is like these three wheeled like vehicles, um, like these three wheeled uh, bike vehicles that you can ride in the back. But the, what she didn't know is the the guy, the rickshaw, the, the the guy who drove the rickshaw, he was in uh, he was getting paid by the by the people who run the brothels to bring them, you know, uh, workers, right? And she, so she, but, but that's a very common mode of transportation. You wouldn't assume that by like getting on a rickshaw, like people use rickshaws all the time. So she got on, he brought her, he, he was supposed to stop at like the, the spot, but he brought her into a, a weird place and it was starting to, to, to get dark or whatever. And asked him like, where, where are you, you, you bring me? And he wouldn't answer. And he, he basically, you know, he dropped her off at like, and he started, and he got done. He started talking to this. The ma- a madam basically a madam uh, is a woman who runs the brothel right and he started talking to her and like getting the payment and my mom knew what was going on she 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 was gonna pan- like as i said but she she was she was like she was trying to stay, stay calm because like she had to get out of there so what she did she got down and she just ran she ran and she ran away and eventually she she got lucky because the 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 guy who was supposed to meet her he he found her right and he's like He's like Rocky, you're you're there. Like we've been looking for you all day and and stuff. And and uh, he's he got scared and and she told him what happened. And he's like, oh my god. And um, but you know she 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 said that that. But you know, in any if you almost got sold into prostitution in Canada, that would be like a traumatic experience, right? <laughs> no, my mom she 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 got up the next day and she went to work. You know, it's like there's it's it's life you know like you just like you just assume that these things can happen over there and you just live on it's it is what it is you know well like talking about your experiences and, and the expectation of uh, the people in bangladesh have towards their life what do you think of the the let's say rising ethical con- concerns for example of sweatshops uh, people here are very concerned about that in bangladesh and china for example so 
do you think um, our rising concern for the, let's say, well-being of the citizens of your country, for example, is actually hurting them because they don't have this same expectation and they're actually learning, earning wages that they can live off of in, in sweatshops? I don't think it's like, like, like in any country, like in Bangladesh, especially like sweatshops is like a, you know, like the conditions there are like abhorrent, like they're pretty disastrous. Obviously, there, there are some like textile factories that are you know better than others like the like obviously i didn't go into the like when i saw textile textures i didn't go into the 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 ones that you know hired cattle laborers obviously the the they're not gonna let you you know see that stuff especially if they know you're canadian or anything like that they're gonna be like because people know like when you go to, to bangladesh if they know you're you're canadian you're seen as like a higher class above even if you come from a good family and you immigrate and you're canadian and you have like a nationality um they're they're gonna see us as, as a higher class i'm gonna talk about this a little bit later but to the textile about the textile factories right the sweatshops the conditions are are, are bad there but i think that like there there's potential for for things to get better right if the country gets wealthier in the long run i think that the the that the the individual wealth of people is going to increase and that the that the the concentration of wealth um like even if if it stays in the in the upper classes because of of cultural reasons eventually like you're going to see people in the in the lower classes get get maybe wealthier as well because there's the diversification of the economy right because before in bangladesh you had like textile and that's about it right and the the limited exports that you had from those uh which is a lot like i'm sure that if you check any of your clothes like there's a lot of made in bangladesh stuff there right and it, because it's cheap but I think that there's there's like a lot of emerging industries there, like pharmaceutical industry is emerging in Bangladesh, and as the economy diversifies and there's different like industries, you're gonna see the the country get wealthier, and I think that there's potential for like indiv individual entrepreneurs to succeed, in despite the the government, you know, being as corrupt as it is, right? In general, and uh, even if the politicians they they take a lot of of bribes, I think that there's a potential for the country to to succeed to succeed if like individuals they they take advantage of the of the big potential that the country has, right? Obviously, it's going to be hard. Like you're from China, right? Yeah, I'm from China. Uh, you 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 know you know that that like for many years the country had to endure hardship, right? Like it it wasn't easy. Like especially after the the Cultural Revolution and and under under Deng Xiaoping, like it was. Like the, the years were hard, but eventually thing, things started getting better as the generations went by because it was hard for one generation, but then the next one got, you know, got more wealth and so on. And I think that there's, there's potential for like, no, and, and as I said, China is like, it's not a democracy. It's an authoritarian system of government. So in, in, in Bangladesh, even if it's, if it's not a, a proper democracy and there's a lot of corruption, I think that there's definitely potential for like individual entrepreneurs to, to do well, uh, to do well. And I think the best example of that is, um, um, the guy who, who started, uh, Grameen Bank, um, Muhammad Yunus, you know, uh, he, he invented this and he's a Nobel Prize winner, by the way, he, uh, invented micro, micro financing. So these banks give like small loans and they have a 97% rate of, of return for, for very low interest. They give this like loans worth a hundred dollars in like 
US dollars. Uh, in Bangladesh, it's a lot, obviously, but they give like these small loans to people to start their own businesses. And obviously, if you don't pay back your loans, like they send their goons and they, they beat you up and they, right? But like, but I mean, I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but in, um, it's not, it's not all, all like uh, roses and sunshine, but in terms of like the, the amount of good that that has done, I think that definitely that outweighs the bad. And the, the extent of the entrepreneurship is going in the long run is going to, to be better for, for the country. I just think it's a matter of, of time, but obviously in that time, it's going to be hard. Okay, like people are going to suffer. A lot, a lot of people are going to die. Like we, we saw um, in Dhaka, the huge fire that happened because of the lack of regulations uh, in the textile industry. Those factory, a factory caught fire and 1,200 people died. That doesn't really keep happening. Okay, like, and that's bad. But I mean, that obviously that's because there's basically like the, the government is busy doing, you know, being corrupt. So <laughs> you can't you can't do anything about that. But um, the in terms of like the, the 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 industry itself, I think that for individuals there's definitely a a huge land of opportunity, and I think that companies too they see it that that if they, they can go there and you know if if, if there's any Marxists listening to this, they're going to say exploit the workers, and yeah, they're going to exploit the workers. But in the long run, I think that for individual workers in 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 Bangladesh, there there's an opportunity for them to make their lives better. And uh, but it, it's going to be hard and long, and it and no one says it's going to be easy. But I think that they it it is it it's going to to to, to the country is going to going to get better in in the long run. I I do believe that. Okay, that's great to hear. Actually, I saw some statistics on uh, the GDP per mm-hmm. capita in Bangladesh. Um, I think it's rising at a pretty constant rate with uh its uh real GDP showing the same trend trend basically. So I think what you said has a, re- a grounds and support. Um, I want to come back on your, or you said like you're an higher class, people see you as a higher class in Bangladesh because you're an immigrant and you're educated and you're a Canadian citizen. So how does that work? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Canadian, right? I'm Canadian citizen. Oh yeah, I would, I would talk about that, right? Uh, thanks for, for bringing that up. So I'm a Canadian citizen, right? That, that means a lot because a lot of people in Bangladesh, obviously, uh, as I said, I think that the country is going on a on on you know on a better path, but you know it's it's still bad. So people want to get out, right? <laughs> like they they want to find every way they can to through like any method they can to get out and come to to Canada, United States, Europe. They want to get out. Okay, that's the bottom line. How do you get out? You need there. There's many ways to get out. But like through family, through immigration, which takes long. Family, obviously, it's it's less long, but you still need visa and all that. It's like right now we're, we're actually working to try to get some of our family over, over here, and and we're we're struggling, okay? Like we're Canadian citizens, okay? Just to give you an idea about how hard it is. Like people who say that, oh, Canada, you know, um, here immigration. Canada's immigration is one of the strictest in the world, okay? Like we have pretty strict immigration guidelines. It's not easy to get people here, uh, for people to come here. You need like my mom was able to come here because she was educated. As I said, like they need people, and she learned French in Quebec, and she had to learn French, and now now she's doing well because she, you know, she 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 got accepted and she got her visa. But it's hard for people from Bangladesh, and if, and if you want to come as an investor, it's expensive, like it's ridiculous. Okay, like you need to pay a ridiculous amount of money to to come. So, but one of the tricks that they that they do, why it's important um, uh, in Bangladesh, actually, this happened to me and a lot of people, a lot of 
other guys, uh, you have uh, these people in these families, they're like, oh, marry my daughter. Marry my daughter, okay? They're like, oh, you know, I, me, I, I made my, I, I did the best I could in Bangladesh as, as a parent, but here, I have my daughter here who's like 16. Uh, I want her to have a better life in like, uh, in Canada, uh, marry her, you know, and bring her and sponsor her to bring her to Canada, right? That's a, that's a, that's a big scheme actually. And that, that was a big scheme and, and the Canadian, uh, immigration system had to close a lot of loopholes, this marriage loophole, because what they would do is they wouldn't marry, uh, so, so that, that, that was big and I remember because I grew up with a lot of Pakistani and Indian people, right? And Bengali people too. And, they would they would um met, they would go back to their country they, they would obviously they grow up here like they're they were they, uh, like kids they would grow up here uh they would um be like you know whatever 15 16 17 18 right and they did like reach the age where you can legally marry in canada right like which is 16 with your parents consent uh they would go back to their country they'd uh these someone in uh, like maybe so, someone would give them money or it'd be like someone in their family. They would marry their cousin or their sister or whatever. They would bring them here. They would show on paper that they're living together for like a, 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 the amount of time required, which is uh, I think was three years at the time. Then they would divorce. They would go back in their country and repeat the whole thing all over again. And that way they would bring their, basically the entire family over here, you know, like, like it's, it's a thing, you know, like it, it really is like, even when I, when, when I went back, like, you know, like, obviously the, it was, it was interesting. Like, Oh, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a, obviously like what they assume is like, okay, you're, you're Canadian. So you have money. Okay. Like if you live in Canada, you, you have money. You are, uh, you're, you're Bengali. Like, you know, your, your origins are from here. You know, you speak language and everything. And your your family is is from there, and you're you're from this educated class, right? It's a big deal. So they're like, oh, you're you're very proper guy and everything. And you know what? I I wouldn't ma- mind my daughter marrying you. And that's not like they would want me to like marry them like for like uh, you know and have have kids and stuff. You know, like they, they like because it's like a if you marry someone in in a class above than you, then those kids have a chance of exceeding to like the higher class, right? And you know what? Those kids, when they come, if you marry and you sponsor and they come here, those kids, they're gonna get, they're gonna be Canadian. They're gonna be born Canadian, right? Because birthright citizenship. So that's that's the whole trick, right? But I think that there's also a problem is that they they want all the advantages of the Canadian citizenship, but they don't want to give up anything like about the bank, like in like in terms of culture. They don't want to integrate in in the culture here, so they go and they live in like Park Extension where all the other, or like it's in Toronto, uh, you live like in Mississauga or like in. Um, and like in Brampton, where uh, you know Brampton is called Brown Town, because uh, that's where all the South Asians live. But they go live with their own diasporas, and they don't, they don't uh, like in Quebec. They don't learn French. Like obviously, I went to French school. Uh, I mean, they don't, they don't mix with like you know other other cultures. They just stay with their own culture. So honestly, I, I honestly ask the question: What's the point of doing all this, coming here, and just staying with your people? You know, like. I honestly wonder, like, what's the point? Because you came here to get a, have a better life. And obviously your country is a mess because of a lot of things that you're replicating over here. Like, that's, that's a very common thing that, we, that I, I like to talk about, is that you're, like, a lot of reasons that countries are, are a disaster. Like, we talk about colonialism, but, like, 
at some point you need to come to terms is that it's not just imperialism and colonialism like to some extent the people in that country have to take responsibility and and do better for themselves like china was victim of colonialism like the 100 years of humiliation the century of humiliation that was a thing like china got like messed up by several european countries okay like at once and yet now it's like the second economy in the world and like it's like a rising superpower okay like china proved that you can you can do you can like arise above whatever happened before in your history and i think at some point those like the, a lot of countries that are saying that oh it's because of like i keep blaming imperialism and keep taking foreign aid at some point they have to come to terms with that you need the people in that country and the governments they need to you know come to terms that they 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 have a role and responsibility to their citizens and to each other in their country and to do better and i think that's a cultural thing right that uh if you're willing to you know to rise above that and i think that a lot of in a lot of times like in the in bangladesh like they come here and they repeat the same stuff like uh, i went to i remember i went to toronto with, with my father a couple of years ago and and it was it was funny because obviously i grew up here so there's a cultural gap between me and people in bangladesh right and there was a guy who owed money to my to my father and uh apparently that guy owed money to a lot of people too like he he basically stole money like they, like there's a there's a thing that if you want to bring money from bangladesh you do it through brokers and that guy was a broker and he basically didn't give the money like he 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 didn't give the money so you know what he said that that you know my my dad was talking with the other guys and they were basically saying that they were planning they were like yeah yeah you know we're going to go to his guy and beat, beat the shit out of him to this guy's house and beat the shit out of him okay that's a very bangladesh thing to do okay like but that's that's not in bangladesh that's here in toronto okay that they were going to do that and also this whole stuff about like the like the like thieving and stealing and like talking behind people's back and like all, all this this little stuff even that seem like so banal that's like a very like a cultural thing that i think that is like detrimental um to bring o- over here but that's what that's what happens when you stay with your own people all the time and you don't mix and you don't like go to like outside of your own diaspora and you don't like explore you're you think that that's all there is you think that's the only way to live that the only way to like move forward in life is with your family's name uh the only way to like do better in life is by like stabbing people in the back and like um you know trying to like one up each other and talking behind people's back and you you think there's no honest and like integ- no way with integrity to do things and like i think that that that's like that's harmful and you and that oh, that can only happen that situation can only happen if you stay with your own culture like if you're like me and you didn't live with the with the diaspora like i didn't grow up in park extension i, I never lived in park extension any time of my life or in any of those like extremely um uh, demographically uh homogenous places where there's only brown people that live and that's why i got to mix with other cultures and and you know i got to learn and get like a diverse idea and i got to make a judgment for myself that what i think is better and what i think is is not right and that's why i'm able to come here and say all of this if i grew up in diaspora i'd be like oh no the like this is this is normal it's it's just how life is you know like uh, and i think a lot of people in bangladesh also especially like less educated people have this like tendency like um to say that you know um to use allah as an excuse right because obviously bangladesh is a muslim country and say that 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 oh um uh, things are the way they are because allah wanted it to be that way you know it, it's it's god's work it's not my, 
it's not any anyone's fault. It's God God's work, right? And oftentimes, because of that, you don't realize that you're getting you're getting uh, screwed by someone who's like you know a different class than you, or like the or someone in government who's like in, the elites, right? You don't you're not gonna blame the elites of the country if you think it, it's God who did it that who wanted it this way, right? That's what I'm, that's all I'm, I, like I, I want to say about that. <laughs> Oh, well, you bring you brought on the point of uh of people living together. Do you think that's only a socioeconomic issue where they don't have enough money to move outside of their communities, or do you think like they are they just want to live in their communities? And I know here we have like this whole thing going on about like, oh, uh, it's our housing practices that's keeping those all those black or brown people together. That's why they're living together in, in a poor condition. But uh, according to your po- uh, your point of view is um, no they they want to live together instead of it's us putting them there. So uh, to which extent do you think uh, the housing market is contributing to the creation of these uh, group communities, or uh, and to which extent extent uh, the communities themselves are contributing to building those communities? Yeah, I mean that's a very loaded question, but I think that in uh, in general, if you're like. I don't think it's, I think it's very easy to explain. As I said, like if you were, uh, it's it's a, it, it's not it wouldn't be that hard to solve. But like obviously it takes a it takes a change. But like if you're from another country, right, and you're coming to a country that you don't know, obviously you're gonna tend to live with people that you do know, right? That that you can relate to. That that's pretty normal, right? Because even when my mom, when the first time she came, like she 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 lived in one of those like uh pretty um like poor more crime-ridden neighborhoods that my my uh my her uncle at the time you know he was canadian and he brought her he, and and he like um got her to like sign a lease in this neighborhood and and he's like oh yeah you know here you, you and because you know when you're from another country from bangladesh you assume that canada is like better okay like by by default like everything is better like you think that that there's no crime uh police is not gonna gonna do anything like um you're, you you, th- you, th- you think that um that is that everything is is um is is just better here so you don't you don't assume that a lot of the things that happen in Bangladesh are going to happen here but no when when my mom moved into that that bad neighborhood like she had money stolen she had her house broken in like her apartment people broke in her apartment like that that happened like her, her door bashed in the uh like you know that and her own landlord was a scum like you know that that was that was a, a thing like you know obviously Anyone who lives here knows that that happens, and that happens in literally every country. But that's because, like, that the neighborhood was just that. Like, obviously, once you move to a better neighborhood, that that stopped happening. Okay, like, but um, I think that that in general, as I said, but you know, people they just they just live with people that they they know, and they they assume that that that's the best they can get, and they 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 stay with the. Uh, with other people and all all the time all the time it's not even like a, for lack of money like i think that there are ways like like to make a lot of money like a lot of these people they work in manufacturing and obviously in manufacturing you do pretty well you make like 25 dollars an hour 2025 and that's that's a good salary right um you can definitely make a living and like even rent an apartment in a better neighborhood if you uh obviously it's very hard work right like I remember when I back when I worked at McDonald's, like I went to work at like seven seven in the morning, and uh, or like when I finished my night shift, there were like in in the bus or whatever, I saw people who were, who were going to work at like six a.m. in a factory. Okay, like that's it's hard work, but you definitely get your money's worth. And 
I think there are, it's not because you can't move to a better neighborhood. It's just because you don't want to move to a better neighborhood. Like, you know, in Chinatown, why do so many, you know, Chinese people live in Chinatown with other Chinese people, right? Because it, it, it's hard to get out of your comfort zone. Like, you're, you live with people from your country that you know, common culture. It's a logical thing to do. It just is. And to say otherwise is, is like fooling yourself, right? You, like, my mom, obviously, she curbed the trend. She didn't want to live with people from her country because she saw, like, a lot of ways she was disgusted with, with like, the culture, right? And a lot of elements of the culture, like the lying and also the, the very uh, anti-women nature of the culture. Like, my mom, she was in the women's rights movement in Bangladesh. And, like, the, the uh, obviously, the, the religious establishment, the imams, they didn't like that. Like, they, like, they would, they would, like, at, at every turn, the religious establishment would try to you know, undermine and even like go as far as killing people in the women's rights movement. And they were like, um, and a lot of it is not even ordering. It's just that if you're like a radicalized, like if you're a, a radicalized Muslim and you think that, you know, women shouldn't have rights, you see this woman asking for rights, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna stone you to death, you know? Like that, that's a, like it happens in a lot of Muslim countries, like it, it does, like it's, it's just because of the of the of the dogma and the, the the doctrine and the indoctrination that happened over time, and that 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 needs to change obviously. But when my mom she came here, she didn't she was disgusted. She didn't want to live with people from her country. So so when the first chance she got, she she moved to a more diverse neighborhood, right? So yeah, I, I mean um, I've lived in the neighbor same neighborhood my entire life pretty much with uh, mostly with Arab uh, like Lebanese and Armenian people in this neighborhood pretty good you know it's in general i'm not gonna i'm uh i i like it at least maybe because i grew up with these people so maybe i'm i'm, I'm also in a way uh guilty of the same thing right like i grew up with these people so i'm uh, i'm i'm very relatable I, I can relate and i'm comfortable living with these people because i grew up with them right so it, you can understand how someone in bangladesh who stayed with bengalis and other brown people their entire life they they would want to stay with with their own kin, right? Well, I I definitely see that even like in Mary, right, right. In Mary and Lapalus, we see a lot of Chinese students, international Chinese students. They don't mm-hmm. they don't tend to mix with uh, other students. Like I'm the exception. I don't use WeChat. That that's a big thing for for a Chinese, right? Um, um, we're like two sides of the same coin. Honestly, you're like you're like the the like the Chinese version of me. Like I don't live with my own kin either. Like I don't live with other other brown people i don't even mix that much with other brown people like honestly the first time like i went to an arab arab high school like uh, a lot of arabic people like lebanese uh egyptians they were like the the brown people in my school was like me and my sister <laughs> that that's it okay like uh so i didn't i didn't and the first time that i saw like, a significant population of brown people in at school was marinopolis like the the all the Desi people in Marinopolis were like ah oh, this and that like I've never spoke spoken in Gali with anyone else than my mom for like years okay like just my mom and my family and and uh, same thing for like Hindi Hindi or or Urdu like I haven't speaking spoken those like with anyone outside like for a long time and when I come to Marinopolis suddenly there's like this huge like community of like Jesse people, and for me, it's like whoa, you know. Yeah, I get that. I definitely get that. Um, so you said a lot of uh, you talked about a lot of 
social problems and cultural problems in Bangladesh. As uh, as like your family is from Bangladesh, do you feel any cultural attachment to your country? Of course I do. Of course I do. I'm I'm only I'm I'm only first. Uh, 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 sorry, I'm only a. Uh, what kind of first generation? But yeah, I mean, like I'm. My mom is from there. She immigrated here, and and I'm and I'm born here, right? So I'm basically first generation, and uh, uh, well, actually, my mom would be first generation. So I'm like second generation, but you know, generally they say it takes several. Like I think it takes they say at least a third generation to start. You know, losing cultural attachment. But that doesn't happen, as I said, if you live with your own community, right? That takes a lot longer, and sometimes it never happens. It can persist for generations and generations if you live with your own community. But if you live outside, if you live like with other, like in 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 like Quebec at large, then you're definitely eventually going to be assimilated, right? Like that's that's how how it works. Like in no matter which country you go, well, Germany and Europe, France or uh, the U.S., eventually you're going to get assimilated if you live. Obviously, you're gonna have some elements of your like your your lineage, right? But eventually, all the Scottish people, the Irish people, all the people who immigrated in um, in the U.S. and Canada, who were from like Britain and stuff, they were assimilated into the culture here, right? Over time, it took a long time. Same thing for the Polish and the Italians and et cetera, et cetera. But it takes several generations. And me, I'm obviously I have a huge cultural attachment. Like I. I speak with my family who live in Bangladesh, okay, and I go to back to the country once every a few few years or so. So, and I still speak my language like my mother's tongue. I can read and write, and I can speak the language, right? So, obviously, I have a huge cultural, you know, attachment, but not to the to that that much to the extent that you know my mom has, but definitely a huge cultural attachment, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel the same thing. Basically, I, I'm I moved here. I'm I'm not even born here, so um, definitely feel it. But do you do you feel like some of your cultural heritage is creating you problems? For example, uh, like all your things, uh, th- things you've said, like stealing or uh, maybe uh, like speaking behind someone's back. Do you feel like sometimes those cultural influences uh, also have an effect on you? Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't live with. As I said, I don't, I don't live with 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 uh, with other. Uh just people like in, in the community so i don't i don't really get to experience the effects of like of that culture to the ex- extent that it still exists over here because obviously over here we have laws like you know you can't but again if you the stronger laws you have the more people find ways to go around them but but uh like me personally i the the way i, I don't do those things like obviously because i i, I have way like the way that i said that you know they're like oh how do you like just like how do i get beyond like that culture, I just don't don't do that. You know, like I don't I don't have a, a a a habit of stealing or like talking behind people's backs because I just don't do that. I learned that that's not a good thing to do and that's not the right thing to do. So I, I don't I don't do it. It's obviously hard to get rid of it if you constantly live with people who do that all the time. You'll be inclined to do it as well. But if you don't, then you don't. Like obviously, there's other things that obviously I've, I've acquired other aspects that that you know of, of culture but that part i like i don't i don't have uh, have that baggage because i don't I'd, i've never um experienced it or done that right yeah um i think some final problem uh final questions um wait i had a question on my mind well i guess i lost it oh yeah 
the question was uh, in the first episode of、uh, the podcast. I was talking with、uh, Professor Chu. He,、uh, she's one of our coordinators of the certificate, and she was talking about I think Latino supporters、um, supporting Trump, and then、uh, basically the the Latino speaker was saying we don't want any more of Latinos coming over here. And、uh, do you think that's sort of like? What you're experiencing, but more on a higher level. Oh,、uh, so, you know, you know, I know something about about this actually. Uh, uh, like I, I think this is a very interesting phenomenon. Is that you, we all all the time when we talk about racism, right? Like in in general in the West, it's white against people of color, right? It's like it's white privilege, white racism, white supremacy. It's like the system systemic racism, right? But what, like, I think a lot of white people, like in general, miss is that, like, even even like, like you're from China, I'm from Bangladesh, like, like people in my country are way more racist than white people. Okay, like to the extent that, like, like the racism is much worse. Like, in, in, not against, and funny thing is, like, not against white people. Like, white people, we we try to worship white people in the in the in the、uh, in Indian subcontinent in general. We uh we we kind of see white people as like higher level, and、uh, there's even this product called Fair and Handsome or Fair and Lovely, where they um、uh, that's like a huge advertisement thing. It's like a it's like a it's called a fairness cream. You put the cream to make your skin lighter, on your you know, and like Michael want... Jackson, huh? Like Michael Jackson. <laughs> no, Michael Michael Jackson got plastic surgery, but no, I'm saying that. You're still brown, but you you make your skin like lighter by putting this fairness cream, and I always find that really funny because here in 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 um in uh in North America and in Canada, I'm like you know my skin I can I can use my skin color like I don't like to talk about my skin color because I don't really care, but like I can use my the fact that I'm brown can get me a lot of things. Like every time when they ask me the question like Are you a visible minority? You know. That's that's what I'm saying. Is that here? It's like a it's like a huge,、uh, quote unquote, advantage for me. Like you know, if I wanna wanna get get like a lot of these things, like oh, we're doing this for minorities only. I'm like, hey, I'm a minority, you know. But in in in、uh, in the in the Indian subcontinent, having lighter skin is seen as more beautiful. Like the 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 Bengali word shundor. We use shundor. It means、uh, like beautiful or like nice, good looking. It it can be used interchangeably with Lighter skin, okay, and oftentimes you'll hear someone say, "This person looks good for a darker-skinned person, like a black person." You know, it's like when you said that, "Oh yeah, you know that she's pretty." Like, yeah, she's pretty for a darker-skinned person. You know, like that's a common thing. And you know, you know how recently there's like a huge deal about the N-word here in in uh, in, uh, in 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 Quebec. I'm sorry, but like in in Bangladesh, people still talk about black people. Like they still use the word Negro as like a as like a acceptable term to talk about black people. Okay, like about darker skinned people. So if you want to talk about like racism, I'm sorry, but I'm, like the 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 extent like the way that we we treat racism here is that when someone is racist, people is like, dude, like no, like that's that's not right. You know, like this is this is wrong, and there's like. Reactions of like outrage in in general. Okay, in Bangladesh, when we talk about when people say like when you use the terms like Negro, talk about the black people, they're like they don't say anything. Like yeah, yeah, 
like <laughs> disagree. Like you know, they're they're like uh, it's it's a normal term to use. And same thing for like as I said, like being whiter is seen as like more as like as like better. You're like oh, the, like even in these ads of like fair and lovely, they show that oh, if you have lighter skin, oh, all the girls are gonna want you and. Uh, like it literally showed that this guy is like training in the gym, and um, uh, you know, and and then he goes outside like you know, but he has like darker skin, and the girls they don't want they don't want him. They like they they leave, and he he can't get a job and stuff. Then he put then he uses the product, and he has lighter skin, and now suddenly he can get the girl, he can get the job, and and the sad thing is it's kind of not wrong, you know, it's kind of true. Like North Indians especially, and like they're really obsessed with having lighter skin if you look at these bollywood actors a lot of them are just white okay like they're just white and it's not surprising because like with the with all the the years of, of like colonialism that happened like even me i probably have white ancestry in my in my in my lineage like i'm i wouldn't be surprised if i had if i had white ancestry so yeah it's it's it's, it's really Im- incredible how like we we see um uh racism and same thing like uh I, you can probably attest to that but like you know myself when i came to Marinopolis, like you know like chinese people using terms like lawai or guaylo you know like that's like i've i've, I've like i've heard that um and uh, and you know it's it's uh, a lot of worse terms too like so um like we know that racism in our in our like uh culture is is very much ingrained Ah, right? yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's sort of like um, like here we talk about always white racism, right? But in uh, it just made me realize this. Like in our own communities, we use a lot of terms to group, to group different people together. For example, we use lawai to just refer to white people in general. We don't care about whether whether they're a European or Canadian or American. That's just a, a general term we use. Sort sort of like back in the days when. When French or American people they just refer to Chinese as everyone Asian, right? So, like, like our first generation immigrat- uh, immigrants, but but more specifically those that have more adapted more to like a Western lifestyle. Do you think we have like a pushback against our own culture or community, or have like this weird mix of attachment and also? To both, like the Western culture and our home culture. Well, yeah, I, th- I think I think I think you're right. Like, like to do, to come back to your question earlier. That actually, I'm sorry, I forgot to answer that one, that part because yeah, I got lost in my in my in my idea. Is that uh, yeah, I think that that to some extent that I think that that like you don't want like like I don't be personally like I I'm not necessarily like in favor of like more people from Bangladesh coming over here. Like obviously, I want my family to come here, but I don't want like. Like even me, like to some extent, like we we we're also guilty. Like I don't want people from like lower classes, like less less educated classes, to like come over here, because I think that it it's, they're not their the culture their culture especially is not compatible with with the one that we we try to promote in in Canada. Obviously, their their children maybe they have they have a chance, but like they're gonna have a huge like gap with their parents, and that's like in terms of that's why I'm, in general I'm not in favor of like mass immigration from like random parts of the of the world like obviously i'm in favor of like educated immigrants coming here and like giving contributing with a brain gain to the country but in terms of like just any like let, open the borders let anyone anywhere come in that's like that's not something i think that's advisable in my opinion 
well, there's a legal process, right? For example, like, you know, um, I'm, 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 like I, I study law, like I, I, I look at this stuff. The third safe country agreement, right? Like the, like the fact that, that if, you, the, if you leave your country, the country you, you enter in, if it's, like a, it's part of this agreement, that's like if it's a if it's one of those countries like in, like if you live in Mexico if you live in Haiti and you come to the U.S. the U.S. is considered a safe country. You're you have to apply for immigration over there, right? You can't then go on to Canada and apply for immigration in Canada, right? There's this agreement. You can agree with it or not agree with it. A politician can say that I don't like this, but that doesn't mean that it's not there, right? If it's if this agreement says that. If you leave your country and you and the first country you enter uh, is part of this agreement and you have to apply for immigration there and you don't apply there and you go and you apply to Canada, you can get deported. Okay, like that's like I'm sorry, it's 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 the law. And 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 things that you know it sounds it sounds cold and all you know you're not you're not you don't have empathy for for them. It's not about having empathy. Okay, like a lot of times I think people get lost with in this immigration talk. In, in, in talk and empathy that's a, that's a side point okay that's not the point like i'm not gonna 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 say that that oh I'm, I'm i'm i want this to happen because i don't have empathy for them anyone who leaves their country obviously left for a reason and i have a lot of empathy for them because as i said my mom also left the country for the same reason but you know my mom she didn't c run over the border and can't come to canada as a stowaway and then, you know, came here and then just stayed here as, as an illegal immigrant or anything. She came here with a visa. She applied for citizenship after going through the appropriate procedure, after the time and everything required, right? If you come here as a refugee, if you say, hey, okay, I'm a refugee, I apply on humanitarian grounds, I apply on political asylum grounds or any, any grounds, whatever. If you're claim gets rejected you're going to get deported like it you no know, it's it's hard but a country needs a country with borders needs to have laws to protect those borders otherwise anyone can can run across okay obviously you you're not going to going to you know be ridiculous now and say we're going to build a wall on the canadian border okay like that's not that's not a a a um a rational reasonable thing to do because most of the and but like i obviously agree that we should close the roxham road for example like we've been talking so long about the Roxham Road, that the road that you know these people keep coming through, and these illegal immigrants, they keep the migrants, they keep running through, and we have to set up a a shelter in in uh, in the the Olympic Stadium to house like a thousand refugees. I'm like that situation shouldn't have happened in the first place, right? If you're at the and I think that that to an extent, like you know Trump when he talks about, it, he said that that obviously is like his wall is stupid, but like his it's expensive and it's stupid and it's like what's the point? But uh, his when he says that if you're an immigrant, there's a door and like you need to wait in line where the others you can't just run across the border and and apply for for uh, for immigration. I I think you can if you're a refugee if you say that oh I my life is in danger where I come from okay like my country my life is in danger and if I don't come here and apply for this like refugee status and on humanitarian grounds I'm gonna get killed okay. But don't expect that if you like come across the border and you have no valid, you know, proper reason, no evidence to show that you know you, you have a good reason to come and and uh, over here, 
then you're going to get deported. Like, that's that's the truth. Like, there, there, there's immigration laws and there's visas for a reason and all that. Like, why should you get, like, basically get the privilege of getting your name put, put on top of the list while someone has been waiting for years to get even a visa? Yeah, there's definitely this question of fairness about legal immigrants and illegal immigrants. Like, legal immigrants have to go through this long process of waiting. Like, I think our family waited like around four years. So there's definitely this question of fairness. Uh, immigrants, legal immigrants are not going to be happy that this illegal... Not enough money, it's paperwork. It's a huge pile of paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Like right now we're trying to get my, my family over, like some people in family over here. We had to like, you know, we had to hire lawyers, we had to like draft like pages and pages and documents and document paperwork, send this to immigration, send that to immigration, send that to like the, the embassy over there, send that to the consulate. It's, you know, it's, it's a pile of paperwork and it's expensive. So uh, there's this question of fairness and also this question of law. But um, also during the first interview with Professor Chu, she said like law is not justice and law is often behind the times that we are currently. So how true do you think that is? Um, in this context i think no i mean she's she's right like law is not like ju- ju- what is what is just in your eyes is not necessarily the law you know like if you think that this, as i said people as i said people say that i'm not being em- em- empathetic with, the, with with immigrants for them it's not just that these immigrants can't just run across the border and and you know apply for immigration and and you know have we the fact that we don't have open borders basically is not justice for them like we should have open borders that's like the writing to the john lennon imagine you know imagine no countries right imagine no borders and whatever but in the end the courts they cannot they cannot exercise what i call vigilante justice right a judge cannot be an activist judge and say that oh because i think that the law isn't right um i'm, I'm going to legislate from the bench that's up to the politicians to do if the politicians they vote tomorrow and they're like, oh, you know what, Canada has no has no immigration laws from this day on, the bo- our borders are open. If the politicians vote for that, you may like that, you may not like that, but that's going to become the law of the land. But a judge legislating from the bench is a very dangerous precedent. And what, and I don't know what Professor Chu said, and I, I didn't watch her into her her interview on her podcast on your podcast, but like. If she she was trying to say that um, I'm not gonna gonna I mean I'm not gonna assume that she said that but if what the argument she was trying to make is that the judges should legislate from the bench and use the vigilante justice to apply to basically you know let you know to use empathy uh, to have empathy um, uh, override law the the law itself that's a very dangerous precedent because a judge could use that for for anything and even things that you know. I'm sure Professor Chu would find, you know, very uh, morally objectionable. A judge could say, "Oh, you know what? I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm pro-life. I'm going to. I'm going to say that every abortion clinic that performs abortion is committing murder." Well, okay. Like uh, you, you legislated from the bench. You, you just created a law out of thin air as a judge. That's. This is as I said. The minute you start legislating from the bench and you say that judges can legislate from the bench, you're setting a precedent that it's like Pandora's box. You can't put the thing back in the box. Okay, you, you're gonna, you're it's going to be a disaster. And and like the, the, the this is why a country like 
like a democracy is run by a certain set of laws and we need those laws to be respected whether we like them or not like there are a lot of laws that i may not like but i i have to live with them obviously i think uh, you can do a lot of things to change those laws you can lobby you can vote you can run for office you can you know call your politicians and say that oh this this thing that really matters for me and i want you to propose this bill and table this motion but you cannot ask judges to who are whose role are to interpret the law and we have to always remember that to rule on immigration cases and like look we have to go in front of judges and a lot of time you know it, it sucks like to hear that oh your immigration case has been denied like i did i did you know when you do interpretation at the court or when when my mom did interpretation at the court like so many cases like oh the judge said oh your immigration case is denied or your your this is denied oh you know like, you're like oh it's it's not right it's not fair like you know this woman she went through all this stuff right but a judge has to interpret the law a judge has to look at what the law says and say that look you your uh criteria like you don't meet the criteria to to uh, to be to become a legal immigrant of this country and i cannot let you in the judge may think it's wrong but the judge has to do their job and if they don't do their job and that's why there's an appeal system right if they don't do their job it's going to go to another court and the court is going to overturn that 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 call right it's 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 how it is like we need we need laws the rule of law like there are things that in place divisions of power things in place that exist here not just to like and and you can say that it's to and it it benefits the status quo it maintains the 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 the, the powers that be and professor chu is right when he says the laws are often behind their times but again it's not the job of judges to legislate from the bench if you think that the laws are behind their time you cannot ask you know judges to to you know be be quote unquote progressive and say that oh you have to be you have to um legislate from the bench to bring the 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 laws where they're supposed to be right if the law if you think the laws are behind the time like you know i don't know like maybe 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 uh, uh miss true should run for office you know like maybe she should be the one to change the laws like i'm i don't know like i i'm i'm just i'm just a, a random loudmouth talking here right like if i if i think that there are laws that are unjust like i definitely talk about them but i'm not going to going to ask any judge ever to you know rule in a way that is not written in the law because i know that that it's going to come back to bite me and i don't want that Yeah, I'm just saying the implication, but like, yeah, but I mean, I mean, she's right. The law doesn't equal justice, but as I said, justice when it comes from like, if 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 you put justice above the law as a judge, that becomes vigilante justice, and that becomes what we call legislating from the bench, which is, I mean, the 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 implication is is, is that right? Like, like the the, the if the, if you say that that oh the law is injustice, it you I'm assuming that it means that you you have to do something about that, right? like something has to be done you're not going to say that the law isn't justice isn't uh the law isn't justice and then not do anything and say that the law isn't justice but you know I'm not going to do anything about that like if you're a, if you're like a, a social justice advocate uh like I know many people who are social justice advocates there you're you want justice to be advanced and and uh you want things to change right but as i said there's this system in place for a reason and you have to go through through certain measures and go through certain loops uh, hoops and uh, there people don't often tend people don't like hearing that 
I think you made a very good point. And I just want to close off because uh, we are running short of time. It's already been one hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, so some final questions is, do you have any um, any books you recommend or any resources, podcasts you recommend for our listeners that they can learn more about your country or for, about uh, law and society and how laws should be enacted or not how they should be enacted, but like a multitude of opinion and views on how the justice system and the legisla legislation system should be? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of books uh, in terms of like, podcasts or books. Like, I, I think there's like the, in general, there's a lot of, not a lot I can say. Like, obviously, if you want to learn about the culture of Bangladesh, read like Rabindranath Tagore. Tagore is like a big, like he's, he's also like a literature Nobel Prize winner. Like he's a, he's a big figure in Bangladesh and he's like, a, you should definitely reread his stuff. Um, Rabindranath Tagore. You definitely heard his name somewhere uh, if there's people in the audience who hear this. But uh, otherwise, like if you want to, like in terms of books that I read in general, like I've read, I've read a lot of a lot of books. I think it's important to like read books that like go in your opposing worldview. Obviously, I'm a bit more right wing than than you know people would probably guess or like people in college are. But you know what? I read I've read the Communist Manifesto. Like I I read Karl Marx's work. I read Das Kapital because. I think it's important to know how, if you understand how you, your opposition thinks, then you're you're only going to make arguments to your own side, and it's not going to help. But you know, I've also read Ayn Rand stuff. I've read Atlas Shrugged. I've read Fountainhead. I think some of her books are better than others. Um, I've read obviously Milton Friedman's work um, in terms of economics. I've read Wealth of Nations, obviously Adam Smith. Uh, like economics is a big big part of my worldview as you can see but um in terms of like if you want to talk about like culture i think that there's a lot of uh books out there that they talk about like culture in uh in general actually i have i, have a lot, I can i can i have a lot of books right here that i can uh i can show um just give me a second like in i've always have a lot of books about austrian economic uh of like like these well, um, austrian economics what okay what Austrian economic that, like that's a more niche topic. Yeah, but 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 that's that's like the 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 more of the 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 spot that I I uh, I aspire to, you could say. I also have books like uh, the Wealth of Nations, obviously, but uh, I also have, uh, for example, also I definitely recommend John Locke. Read John Locke. Read the Second Treaties of Government. You need to read this book. I think a lot of people they don't read John Locke. And they, like, it's it's really obvious, especially in Marinopolis, a lot of people don't read John Locke, like, natural rights, natural law, all that stuff, you know, you need to know it, okay, like, that's that's really important in my in my opinion. And obviously, I have, like, the, the classic science 54, Fahrenheit 451, all that stuff. And uh, also this book that people may not know, uh, right here, right now, it's a book by Stephen Harper, former uh, Prime Minister of Canada, that I, that I got. It's a pretty good book, I read it. You know, he talks about about uh, a lot of stuff like in like in it talks about Asia and economics and culture. And uh, I think I think the, the, that's uh, that's definitely um, a good uh, read. And one last book I'd recommend is this "Manufactured Consent" by Noam Chomsky. Uh, this one, this version is in French, uh, but uh, I know where the English one is. But uh, the manufactured manufacturing consent. It's about how media manufactures consent. How media basically, you know. Um, uh, oftentimes they drive opinion by having by by being opinionated itself, you know. 
like you know how we talk now about left wing media, right wing media. Like before, they were like, oh, newspapers are just newspapers, right? Like they they're just supposed to give the news, not like opinionate from the from the the from their platform. But now we have left wing media, right wing media, and I think Noam Chomsky is definitely hit the nail on the head when it comes to uh, comes to that. Uh, and um, uh, the manufactured consent is is definitely a book that I recommend a lot of people to read. And actually, I'm sorry I'm taking so much of your time, but one last book, okay? No problem. One last book. One last book is uh, this is this is a book I read in English class when I was uh, in high school. Sold. It's about this girl who got sold into prostitution. Basically, uh, it's her story from from the uh, from Nepal, okay? And I think in a lot of ways. This is like a very common story for where I come from, okay? So you should definitely, you know, give it a read. Maybe you'd understanding, understand a bit better. Uh, when I was in, in high school, this became like a, like a huge meme kind of because uh, a lot of stuff in the book was like, people are not familiar. And, you know, when people aren't familiar, often we use humor yeah. to like talk about things we're not familiar with. And, and uh, this became a meme, but like it's not, it's not funny. Like, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens is like really sad in the book. and um, you can, that's uh, that's all my that's the book I recommend. Obviously, the bookshelf is like big, but uh, this is the, the 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 few books that I definitely would recommend people to read. So yeah, yeah. Well, well, thank you for taking your time with with us. No problem. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, well. I took a lot more of your time than I than I think I should have, but uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, I, it was I, really really fun. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I had fun doing this too, okay? Well, uh, thank you very much for having me, huh? No, thank you for coming. I mean, especially the fact that you, you interviewed uh, Deborah Chu and you're going to interview Bra- uh, uh, David O'Keefe ne- next week. Uh, I think uh, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> Compared to the caliber of people you're interviewing, I'm like a nobody, so... <laughs> No, I think you bring a, a really good another point of view to our podcast because, um, yeah, colleges are more left wing, uh, these days. So I think um, it's really important to get a, as you said, the opposing um view uh, on things. So I think it's really good that you're here. Mm, no, and, thank and, you. good, and good and funny point about that is that when I'm in when I'm in college, like around Marinopolis, like people, they oftentimes they're like, yeah, they hear right wing, they're like, oh my god, you must be like a Nazi, like a racist person who like, you know, hates immigrants and you like, you want like women to not have rights and like, it's like The Handmaid's Tale. By the way, you should definitely read The Handmaid's Tale. But uh, the it's uh, they, they assume it's, 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 it's the, like, that's your worldview. But like, no, they don't realize that there's a spectrum, there's different, you know, things in the right wing as there's in the left wing. I'm like, what do you think? Do you want me to, to say that left wing is like all these pink haired college kids who like, want to like uh censor everything like is that is that what you want me to like assume about you like that's the equivalent of like what what you know the other side is kind of doing but i think that it's when i have conversations with people and i'm like oh this is my policy this is what i advocate for even a lot of i have a lot of like people who are like more left-wing they're like oh you know i agree with you on all this stuff right like yeah this makes sense that just shows that we have heterodox views and people are not bound by the, by labels. Like you know, when people say I'm left wing, right wing, libertarian, authoritarian, I'm I'm a socialist, I'm 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 a capitalist, I'm common. Like those are just words. Like those are just terms. I think it's more important your policy, your ideology. What do you think? Your worldview. 
And when I talk about my those the specifics, when I talk about policies and worldviews with people who you know you would think are are you know pretty far on the left, they they're like they they're like oh yeah no I agree with you on this I agree with you on that I agree with you that yeah you know you're right the government shouldn't have that much power uh, you're right that you know uh, this is uh, uh, immigrate on on immigration you know we cannot have open borders obviously and in in that way like when you make the arguments when you talk to people in a normal way and you don't like you know talk down to people you talk with people and when you you discuss there's you can not you don't even have to change minds sometimes because oftentimes you find out that people agree with you more than you think you you talk with people and you you would assume you wouldn't think you're like oh my god this guy is like is like right wing you no one agrees with him because the college is like 90% or 95% you know left wing right like everyone thinks that like you know socialism is like the the, the future and like Karl Marx is is like uh, you know is, his revolution is going to happen and people are going to going to overthrow the government like tomorrow but when you get back to like in like not fantasy world like the reality and you talk about like real real stuff to real people and you're like look this is the policies that I advocate for this is what I want when I talk about this is why I got into politics and this is my worldview they're like yeah i i you know you you're not i kind kind of agree with you you're right Thank you everyone for tuning to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description, depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Henry. And the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers.